0: Take two middle-aged men who happen to be cousins and share a common codependency on movies.
1: Put them in a room and tell them to talk about anything film-related.
0: The result? An existential exposition of cinematic synergy we call The Finleys on Film.
1: I am, um, I am uh, unkind sometimes to you, Tommy.
0: Oh, Jesus God.
1: Nope. No, nope, I mean it, in um, it's. I think when we try to share things creatively, is when I'm, uh-huh. I'm unkind to you. And here's what I mean: <laughs> you, Tom, Tommy, has come to me with ideas for the show several times, <laughs> and every time if it you sounds didn't say like it
0: at some point I was going to. At yeah.
1: some point, it always sounds like the worst fucking idea I've ever heard for an episode, and I tell him so. "The what the fuck is this idea?" Oh, yeah. And you know, I mean. Almost you every- and I have both had, had a couple of clunker ideas, for sure. sure, sure but sure. typically, once I give it some thought, it is actually an interesting idea. And actually, what I appreciate about you is something you said you appreciate about me. So I guess we're both doing it for each other. And that's that um, sort of like to, to break us out of like the rut we're in. Right. Right? Yep. And so Tom came to me with this idea that I thought was so immensely stupid when I heard it. And that was, let's do an, an episode that talks about movies based on books. interesting books. Yes. To which initially, now, bear with me, listener, because on the surface it does sound kind of stupid because so many movies are, are yeah. based on books, and it's That's like, true. why? But it's like, okay, well, wait a minute, though. Like, really choosing movies that had, like, an interesting take on books or that um, allow us to sort of talk about movies in a different way than we usually do. Like, we did an episode on, on Laurence Olivier. I'm sorry, on Lawrence of Arabia. Mm-hmm. On the Patreon side. And so it allowed us to talk about T.E. Lawrence and the seven pillars in that book. And so sometimes we'll talk about the book if we sure. read it, right. but not really going from like mm-hmm. our deep appreciation of a piece of literature right. and our interest in what someone does with it. Right. Right.
0: I have to say, at this point, at this point, I know every time I, I have an idea, I'm going to tell it to Joe. He's yep. not going to. Joe doesn't say, that's not a good idea. Joe says, that's the stupidest yeah, fucking idea fucking I've ever. That's horrible. How do
1: you come about. up with such horrible ideas?
0: <laughs> and I know I just need to let him. At this point, I've, yep. I've come to the realization. Yeah, I yeah. Just need to let him sit with it for a couple of days
1: and that's just i know I, I really don't even mean it that way i think it's just my process i mean it's probably just why i'm not <laughs> that is. fond of doing too many projects with people is mm-hmm. that is that i need that process and i can understand why it's not too attractive to people but you and i have known each other for a long time so we get like the things we need to do to yeah. work together yeah, yeah, and that's yeah. probably
0: so thank you yeah because uh, this will actually turned out to not not to be a bad idea at all and I don't think, yeah, I don't think so. I think, I think it's fascinating because we both picked some really, a couple of interesting books, different books, sort of off the beaten track of books, and they're kind of, you know, speaking for myself, kind of a depressing, freaky book uh, on my end, and I think you did the same thing as well. So yeah, and I'm also, looking
1: forward to it. <coughs> also, it's it's sort of like um, I think that you and I we we love cinema. Mm-hmm. And you know, we grew up like loving actors and loving directors in, a, in an absurd sort of way for being our age. Mm. Like at eight years old, you know, we're really right. the John Ford movies or something <laughs> like
0: that, right? Right. Having an opinion about Hitchcock.
1: But one of the things that happened is, for me anyway, and it, it might be for you too. Is when, you know, this is all into the tutelage of your father, right? Mm -hmm. The third Finley and and his great sort of 1980 top-loading VCR that we we reference once (laughs) Uh, in a while and his dedication to VHS sort of EP low-speed recordings dedicated to certain actors (laughs) and all this sort of stuff. Is when we tried to sort of like maybe step away and be our own people outside of like the influence of your father. Right. The way that it happened was we would do it through literature, which is not to say that your dad didn't appreciate literature. He didn't
0: read a goddamn lick of fiction, he could help it. Yeah. Well, I guess Everything true, he right? read was biography. That was his whole thing. And so in a weird history.
1: way though, it, it made us really appreciate the mm-hmm. the part that was missing under the education, yeah. uh, which is like that that these things don't happen without writers. Right. Okay. Like there is no story without a writer. Forget, fuck the actor. And and mm-hmm. but in a way we came back around and just sort of incorporated it back in.
0: Sure. Yeah, no,
1: absolutely. <laughs> and so anyway, so we choose these we chose these two authors. These two books Mm -hmm. and then the adaptation. And so um, going chronologically, not from the book, but from the adaptation into a film. Let's start with your choice, Tom. All
0: right. Let's go with it. Uh, I'm picking a book written by an author by the name of Jim Thompson. Boo. This is a dumb idea. No, shut up. Anyway. No, um, I'm a huge fan of um, sort of hard-boiled detective fiction. I've read a bunch of it. I don't know anybody better than Jim Thompson in the field. His work is just uh, amazing. Like he did the grifters. Mm-hmm. Uh, he did this. He also worked in Hollywood. He appeared in a movie called uh, Farewell, My Lovely. Uh-huh.
1: Okay. Well, Robert Mitchum, mid-70s, Robert right? Robert Mitchum, yeah, yeah. But
0: there's an old judge in the movie. That's Jim Thompson playing the yeah. guy. Uh, he wrote several screenplays, most notably The Killing. He wrote that. <sighs> And paths of glory. Uh, pa- I think he had something to do with paths of glory. Yeah.
1: yeah. Well, but Kubrick kept befriending him and then cutting him out of like the credits and <laughs> sure. just sort of like story idea by or you right, know right. something like that. Yeah.
0: But with, with, I have to say, like the killing is definitely if you if you know he wrote it, you're like, oh yeah, okay. And you know Jim Thompson. Yeah. Jim Thompson was a kid. Was uh, he wrote um, he wrote hard boiled fiction, crime mm-hmm. fiction, really. Um, and it all based it was it, it, the, there was violence involved, but it was the emotional violence that was really the key to his books So it's okay. like the
1: characters who who the the, uh, un, the dark underbelly of the characters being exposed so oh, slowly the just, sickness he, of the characters,
0: Absolutely in 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 ways that were sort of crazily insightful Like I never read a Jim Thompson book where I didn't read something horrible about somebody. I'm like, Oh, I kind of feel <laughs> that. Like he just hits you he hits you in your soul at yeah. one point every goddamn one of these books so uh, this in this case we're going with the getaway. Yeah, all right, which is the bo- okay. So there's a movie with Ali McGraw and uh, Steve McQueen, Steve McQueen mm-hmm. uh, great movie, written uh, uh, directed uh, by uh, Sam Peckinpah.
1: Uh, also, uh, we're talking Ben Johnson.
0: Yeah, I mean, just a tr- really kind of a tremendous cast for that time period.
1: Well, I also want to mention um, um, uh, Al Letton, who, who was who played uh, Salazzo in The Godfather, the Turk. Oh is right. It's also with this and he's he's a sort of um
0: oh, he's Rudy. He's the crazy he's,
1: he's Rudy, the crazy guy who has who has the girlfriend Sally Struthers back yeah. when she was hot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Before, yeah, yeah. She, before she was hawking children well, okay, starving but, children in Africa. So,
0: okay, so let's just take that that character right there. Okay, so uh, Rudy is actually kind of a hugely important character in the book. Okay. He kind of gets a little short-shifted in the movie except in because I mean, you give this movie to Sam Peckinpah and it's going to be about the gunfights. Okay. Which is sort of not what Thompson Thompson had things like that but it wasn't that wasn't the big part of the movie okay. about uh, of the of the book of the literature involved. So in this case in the book that character is hugely important, okay? But if if I'm going to go if I if I want to draw like that thing I was talking about like uh, how the killing is so obviously a Jim Thompson uh sort of a vehicle that the the, the woman who just who the woman who just trashes a man's soul uh-huh. in it. That's in the killing and it's also in this one because Rudy takes this couple hostage. All uh-huh. right, and yeah. they're traveling along. It just starts fucking the wife who's a scumbag. Meanwhile, the husband is just over here falling apart. Just just being just Are you talking about the Steve McQueen character? No, like, no that no, husband. No, no, oh, the, just
1: a, just an arbitrary there's sort the, of side uh, note. No,
0: because th- that you forget about him sometimes that he was in the movie, but she but he kidnaps the couple and takes them across country with him and he's fucking the he's oh, fucking that's her. right. While while her husband's in bed with them.
1: Yeah, that's right.
0: Oh, it just you just and he just falls apart. Like there's this like oh people in people totally in a Jim Thompson that. novel are either victims mm-hmm. or beca- or or looking for a victim. That's the only kind of people he shows.
1: Well, that's interesting. Like I I, I, I defer to you on all this sort of stuff because I haven't read uh, Jim Thompson. I've seen some of the adaptations, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> but like I mean, I'll talk about how I feel about the getaway. You know, as you're talking about sure, it, sure. but I look at his other films like The Grifter. The Grifters mm-hmm. versus, let's say, the second version of The Killer Inside of Me, the one with, with Casey um, Oh, Casey Affleck. Affleck, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's like, to me, like... So much depends on how much somebody handles him. So, like the Grifters, I think is a great fucking uh, it's film. A really great film. The killer inside of me that
0: that second one is just garbage, as far as I'm concerned. Right? It's, it's rough. But it's, the first one with Stacey Keach was yeah. maybe a little bit better. This one, okay, no, the one with uh, Casey Affleck yeah. gets it a little like gets it sort of right in the physicality of it. But it but it doesn't get you. It doesn't get you all the extra little stuff.
1: But the thing about the getaway is that it seems to me like there could potentially be a problem and we could even talk about that because Sam Beckenbaugh is such a stylistic force and creative mind. Yeah.
0: He took He took over
1: that. It's almost like somebody taking over something that's so specifically like um, attached to a writer like Jim Thompson would be difficult. Like who, who, who wins that battle? Well, become, or, or, or do you lose something the, for the battle itself?
0: You lose something, but at the same time you gain something. It diverges. It, it becomes a very different sort of a book, okay, yeah, okay. Uh, or you different, a, different, a different sort of a movie, yeah, right? Yeah. Okay, the movie basically is an action film in, uh-huh. a, in most ways. I mean, it has beautiful Sam Peckinpah, like starting to feel his oats with the slow mo, yes, uh, gunplay and all that kind of stuff. He's sort of, of
1: borrowing all... from from the Wild Bunch, like three years earlier, with a sort of like the the stop action black and white cover sort of print, right? Um, yeah, the slow motion, yeah,
0: yeah. So he's got so he's got those elements and those. Come across and it's a young virile Steve McQueen mm. and an Allie mm. McGraw at her at her sexy hottest right <laughs> yep. and so so that becomes what this movie is all about, and everything sort of fall the, the, the sort of nuances fall away really quickly yeah in this thing in the book, uh, Steve McQueen is like one of the top five bank rob planners in the world. Like right. he's like he's famous and this is this girl that he stole from a that he that he, he brought he corrupted into the life yeah. from a like from working at a working at a truck stop or something like Some that. Some of that and comes to an Ellie McGraw
1: character though. I think she does a good job. I think yeah, she's an she, underrated actress.
0: I think she is too and I think she tries, but I don't think Steve McQueen is really I mean he's Doc. He plays Doc. He plays Steve McQueen as yeah. this character. So. Yeah.
1: See, that's another it's like you have the third force. So it's like Peck and Paul McQueen and Jim Thompson. And it's like that's a taffy pull.
0: Yeah, it really is, right? Yeah. So okay, so in the book, like the character Rudy, like he's very important because he's um this character who was like so horribly abused as a child, like his inner like he he was beaten so badly that like all of his chest is basically bones and scar tissue uh-huh. all right which in the movie which in the book doc shoots him in the chest and it doesn't kill him because of course he's got this weird he's got this weird shield in there uh-huh. and so then he finds the uh, then he finds the couple and he goes out to to, to follow doc and try to kill him okay right. so so it's so, but jim thompson like all of his like all of his criminals ultimately come to shit mm-hmm. in the end he's there's a there's a morality that comes into play, which is completely lacking from the uh, from the movie. Uh-huh. In the movie, it's a getaway. They get away. They get away. clean. Essentially, they get away to Mexico, and everything's great. In the book, getting away to Mexico is where they're trying to get. Mm-hmm. Uh, it turns out that's a form of hell. They had no idea they were heading into. So it's a very. The ending is very different. There's a morality. There's a morality concept and a and a, and a, and, a, and a sort of a like. Um, what do you want to call that? Um, uh, fucking things come back on you. Karma. Oh, okay. There's like a, there's a karmic payback that they both get when they finally achieve their dream of escaping to Mexico with all this money. Yeah, it's really a, it's really incredible. It's it's an incredible book. <coughs> Anything by Jim Thompson is worth reading. So I would like to go
1: back and, and read some Jim Thompson, and maybe I'd even start with this. One of the things that I like the fi- the way I feel about the getaway. It's another one of those films wh- where I I was watching it when I was like nine and ten. Yeah. Um, and and you know probably too early and not I don't mean for the violence but in terms of like conceptualizing the whole thing but, but the but,
0: violence is amazing in that movie well, that's he? what I'm saying so yeah. so so what's his name so so Peckinpah gets a hold of it and turns it into kind of a masterpiece of its type well
1: that's the thing about the movie is actually. There are three things that I like about the movie, mm-hmm. but all of them are peck and paw. And this isn't a, this isn't a criticism of Jim Thompson. Mm-hmm. It's just maybe the way it worked out. Because I, I think that I can praise a movie like The Grifters, which which I intuit as as being a little more true to
0: Jim Thompson. I would say The Grifters is the one that really gets most of the nuance. And I think
1: in. it's a great movie. So yeah. like just by virtue of that sort of the transitive powers, like I, I would praise Jim Thompson and be interested in him. Mm-hmm. But what I like about The Getaway is really three things. Um, the action scene, yeah. where um, he gets a shotgun one. and yeah. levels the car. Yeah, um, the sort of played out, sort of apex of the movie in the in the hotel mm-hmm. uh, across just across from the Mexican border, where uh, where um, you know Al has caught up with him. Right. And 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 there's this huge like amazing shootout like yeah, one of the best shootout scenes of all, all time. time in this yeah. hotel, and then finally the appearance of Slim Pickens at the end of the movie, mm-hmm. who who helps them sort of get across the border, right? And so all of that is sort of like pecking up because I actually find the film mostly boring. <laughs> okay. It's very very slow. It is and very I, slow. I mean It is very. I remember slow, even yeah. at a time when I like I I idolize as I still do. I'm um, um, Steve McQueen, sure, and and even Ben Johnson because I had been a huge, huge fan of 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 um of the Wild Bunch, right? And Alan McGraw, who was was and is one of the <laughs> yeah. very very lovely, very
0: likable, very <laughs> likable, very yeah. I
1: just I, and so it's not. I, I would even recommend the film based on those three things, but, 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 but outside of them, where where mm-hmm. it's and it's not. I'm saying that Jim Thompson's work is bad. It's Peck and Paw. Maybe deferring to Jim Tonson and not knowing how to do it. Yeah, it seems he slow.
0: He just couldn't get it across. I would agree with you. Actually, I think that's yeah. true. Uh, as a true criticism of the movie, the really it's the ending of that movie that makes that movie yeah. work at all. It is I mean, an otherwise, ending. Yeah. Otherwise, yeah, it'd be pretty. It's a pretty tedious movie. It is. Yeah. I mean, now, if it were designed, but see, let's just take a step back, real quick. Like um, Fat City, that's a tedious movie in and of its uh, of itself. Yeah. But it works because it maintains that pace throughout, and it becomes it becomes very interesting in that in in a rather tedious sort of i think steve
1: mcqueen makes tedious movies and they're mostly good i mean he's a little like baseball right baseball Hmm. is a lot of waiting around and nothing happens until something does and it's great it's really (laughs) amazing the thomas crown affair is a lot of tedious sort of stuff and but it's like you're waiting for the mcqueen action and it pays off yeah and and the sand pebbles or whatever it is so Mm -hmm. it's like i think that that Peck and paw does it well, and, and it's worth it, yeah, but I just don't see the Jim Thompson here, mm-hmm. but having said that I'm not the expert in Jim Thompson, so
0: yeah, it just it, <coughs> it, it gets missed in sort of the, it gets missed in a lot of the clutter okay. of, of the of the visual medium because it's a lot of interior dialogue stuff uh, so yeah. that definitely and and, and 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 what is it the the narrator who's the the lying narrator? What do they call that? Unreliable narrative. The unreliable yep. narrative. That's a big. That's a big tool. Uh, oh, so is like work.
1: dramatic irony. So the audience sees things, so the reader sees things that the characters don't. Right. Yeah, right. Got exactly. it. Exactly.
0: So you know, I think uh, I, I would. Uh, I like the. Mm-hmm. I love the movie, but I really love the book. Anything by Thompson, I could. I could recommend some really good ones.
1: Well, I will definitely uh, read a, a Jim Thompson book All right. as a result of this episode, which started out as a very stupid idea, but turned <laughs> out to be a good one, <laughs> and actually made me sort of rethink, like. The relationship between books and movies.
0: Oh, yeah, it's pretty cool. Well, and in this case, we kind of took ones where I knew something, yeah, yeah. and then you're going to be talking about. Well, I've read what you're going to yeah, be I mean, talking about, but it was a long time.
1: You're ago. a much more, uh, you, this is more your episode in general, because you know as much about the, the next film as, as I do in the I book. I
0: doubt that. No, you know more. Oh, Tommy. Oh, it's true. oh you. <laughs> <laughs> do you. Do you honestly think I'm being uh, humble at this point?
1: Who knows? Yeah, okay. You might have been guilted into it by the opening of
0: this episode. Uh, no.
1: no. <laughs> Fuck face. <laughs> oh, God. All right, so um, the next um, book is 1899's *Heart of Darkness* by Joseph Conrad. Oh yeah! I mean, look, I mean, everyone knows and where this is going. Which you know is the that. movie. <laughs> 80 years later, uh, Francis Ford Coppola finally finished after three years of a like horrific Perfect. time trying to shoot this film Apocalypse Now mm-hmm. which is some sort some of legendarily
0: adaptation. bad movie uh, film experience
1: right I mean there are yeah. a couple there's there's I'm thinking of like Aguirre Wrath of God
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, as a sort of comparison Fitzcarlo, for that matter. Fitzcar- um, also um, they have tried for years Terry, Terry Gilliam tried to do uh, um, Don Quixote
0: Man of- oh god dude. Lost in La Mancha Well, there there are several documentaries about
1: about films that just never made it, and the documentary about the disaster of making a film becomes more yeah becomes the only film in existence. Super compelling. Apocalypse Now finally was completed, but but wife made um, a documentary called Heart of Darkness: Apocalypse (laughs) Now Mm -hmm. about the making of Apocalypse Now, which is this adaptation ish. I mean, it definitely is an adaptation of Heart of Darkness yeah, let's take now it is
0: putting into like a like an Amer- like American context of its time.
1: It's what I like and don't like about the film, and it's a film that like um I, the first time I saw it, I hated it. Mm-hmm. I saw it a second time and loved it and this third time I saw it I started
0: going back toward not liking it as much. And <laughs> well okay so there's so, a lot yeah,
1: there, right? Yeah,
0: let me interject really quickly. <coughs> I, okay, Please. so Apocalypse Now is a movie I can I literally watch it like once in a decade. Once okay. every 8 to 10 years. Yep. I can watch it because it's such a fucking it's so grueling. Yeah, it's, intense. it's a grueling movie to watch. It's Absolutely. intense. Yeah. It's it's intense and somewhat times boring as shit. Maybe. There's a lot of things going on in this movie that make it really hard to watch. So like I said, I watch it every decade. I don't know that I ever regret watching it.
1: My wife came in and and sat down on the couch and and became entranced with the film. Mm Mm-hmm. She had never seen it before. Um, my wife hates war movies. Oh, she does have. Uh, but yeah. this is not really a war movie. It's a thing, right? Mm-hmm. It's, it's a sort of allegory. It's, it's a weird adaptation. And so if you go back to Heart of Darkness, it's like you have Conrad responding to the Belgian genocide, essentially, right. of, of the Congo. Right. What became the Belgian Congo. King, in the, in the, the
0: Ludwig, or what the fuck? that that thing. That uh, I
1: just forgot its name. But, but anyway, so um, the Belgian king, who I'll look up in a second here, who never actually went to the Congo himself... <laughs> There's something like 10 million people died in slavery. Yeah, on, on behalf of the Belgian Oh, and the ones Congo. who didn't
0: die lost a hand Leopold, or a foot. King Leopold. Leopold. Yeah, lost a hand or a foot. I mean, it just was just a motive, just to keep them motivated. <laughs> Boy, check, get out there and get me some diamonds, or I'll cut your fucking hand off.
1: So that um, was a Belgian. <laughs> <by the way. laughs> that was pretty
0: good, Belgianese, I would thank say. You, thank you.
1: Yeah. So Joseph Conrad. I mean, so Conrad himself is this sort of interesting character because he was Polish. Mm-hmm. He, um, English is a second language. No, English is really? a third language. French is the second language ah. because French was a language of the sea, and Conrad was a a, a seaman <laughs> um, Long um, and hard before for a writer. Submarines. And so then he English was his third language, and that's the language he wrote in, which is like that's kind of intensely and, amazing by itself. And not
0: just that, he wrote amazingly. His in prose English is, is uh, a,
1: incredible. It's
0: some of the best. It really yeah, I mean, is it, really he has a the story best.
1: called "The Secret Sharer," which Fuck. is probably my favorite yeah. favorite work by him. But but in any case. Um, he himself was a lunatic. I mean, he was like a mad, brilliant guy, right? I mean, he, he was, he lived in England most of his life as a writer after he was done with the sea. Um, he was married to a woman who he hated. I, I read a great biography by Jeffrey Myers. He's a great biographer of literary figures. And um and he hated this wife of his, but at the same time they had a ritual where Conrad would get so worked up with his writing that he would get these immense um what's what's the worst headache you can get though? Um, migraine. <coughs> migraine headache and he would crawl into her lap and she would rub his head and while well, he called her mommy. Right? This is okay, just okay, Conrad. Okay, uh-huh.
0: that's that's hot. I'm gonna go to the bathroom for a few. That's definitely hot. Take a break. And
1: at the same time he was having an affair with a woman. Who later on would become a British spy during World War I? Really? I always thought that would make an interesting film, to, to make a film about his um, sort of you think, lover. You
0: think like just hanging out with him made you an interesting person? Well, made you want to go do crazy weird things? But
1: in a weird way, like he was brilliant, but he, he maybe, my point is kind of like he wasn't that interesting. What was interesting about him was his mind. Right. L- was his like, writing in a third language, mm-hmm. was that he'd, he was a, a, a man of the sea before he was a writer, that he was such a good writer. But, but he hung around people like Hart Crane, all of his admirers, and, mm-hmm. and one by one they would leave him like, this guy's a fucking bore, and he's an asshole. <laughs> and so, like, it's he a had. a
0: combination, boring he asshole. Had these two Write sides, that down, Jeff.
1: But he had, you know, and, and, and he didn't have a heart toward his wife, right. but he had a heart toward the, the, the Congolese he had a heart, people. He had a heart for darkness. A heart for darkness, sir. And so, so this, this novella, it's a little over 100 pages, yeah, yeah. is um, an attempt to sort of talk about. What everyone was seeing, and what half of Europe saw as sort of like a, a Belgian's version of like manifest destiny. Right. and the other half um, so I don't think it's, it's noted enough it saw it was what it was, this horrific sort of genocide that yeah. was happening, mm-hmm. right? And so he frames, you know, this narrator, um, Marlowe. It's, it's a frame story, which is to say, it's, it's a lot like um, Tim O'Brien's stories like the thing they carried, <laughs> the things that carried where it's like sure. you have a narrator who's saying, "Did I ever tell you the story about?" And then they tell right. you the story about something else right. that had happened. So right. it actually is a British sort of um,
0: – We kind of did that in Secret Share too. That Was like a, was that a common thing for him, I think? I think no, so. Like I frame stories, yeah. right? Okay. So yeah, like
1: yeah. there was this time I was on, on the deck of a ship and this thing happened, right? And so you actually have someone recounting the story that was told to them by Marlowe. Who's, who is a seaman who's recalling the sort of um, experience he had in the Congo. Right. And it was that he um, he wanted to sign on a ship to go um, from England um, over to the Congo to make some money. Um, um, one of his relatives gets him in sort of over his head. Mm-hmm. Um, with more responsibility than than he thought he would ever have on a ship. Mm -hmm. Um, And once he gets to the sort of Congo area, he's um, sort of enchanted with this guy who's a a company bigwig who's making the most money for the company, and that's this guy named Kurtz. Yes. Yes. And so really, it's way about way deep in the Congo, way deep in the Congo. And Kurtz, it, it's sort of revealed slowly that Kurtz has um, maybe gone insane and maybe, maybe gone be, native, maybe gone native, maybe betrayed the company. And, and by betrayed, we mean like he should be coming back to us making money instead right. of just being where he is. Right. right, right, right. And and um, did he um, sabotage his own ship? And, and is he really stuck out there in the middle of nowhere? And so we, ha- we have a responsibility to this fellow white man. Right. And it's, it's very much sort of like an Orwellian thing, like, like uh, Burmese days, too. Like, hmm. we have this narrator who's like, clearly sees that something is wrong right. in the state of the world of the Cong- Congolese. He's hmm. not even Belgium, he signed on to a Belgian right, company. Right, so right. he gets this sort of second few. Um, and he's not sure what to make of this mysterious Kurtz fellow who might be a hero or might be a madman, a monster. And um and there's there's conflicting reports
0: and well and that's the other thing too. But like I, and I remember this vaguely about uh, yeah. about the book, which is uh, Conrad does a really good job of sort of t- uh, bringing you, uh, sort of making like making you invest a little bit with this character, yeah. in the situation, like, and at the same time giving you some ambiguity. Like you're never 100 percent sure what exactly his fascination with it with it is. He's got yep. he's fascinated with Kurtz. Mm-hmm. He's fascinated with the horror. And he's also disgusted by the whore, and he maybe is fascinated by his own disgust at the horror. it's there's a layer yeah. there's a layered quality to this guy's interest and and what drags him into the story <coughs> yeah. that is uh, really kind of a remarkable feat of literature
1: well we, we've talked about this before like it's like the louis ck approach to art which is to say like um when when someone says like Jack but off I don't, in front of women yeah i don't understand like what's his motivation for doing that louis ck would say who cares if you, if you can make the audience believe that he wants to do it, who gives a shit trying to explain why he wants to do it. And, and, and I think that, um, that Conrad has that sort of ability, too. Okay. It's like he, like, just what you said, basically. He invests you because the character's invested, right? right, right. So So all of that sort of like, um, you know, the the main character going to sort of retrieve this guy who may be insane, and it has, like, colonial issues involved. It has, obviously, like, race, class, commerce, capitalism, mm-hmm. all this sort of stuff. And so now we have, you know, four, uh, five years, I guess, after Godfather two Francis Ford Coppola, sort of returning... To the, the, the epic, you know, that, yeah. that was too long in the making.
0: Given, given some mad money to play
1: with. His adaptation, and it's now it's set in Vietnam. And so right. it's more colonialism, mm-hmm. right? Yep. Um, it's actually made four years after the official end of the Vietnam War. Right. But, you know.
0: But everybody was still, there was there was a lot going on in society. That was a reflection of the
1: society, war. man. That's right.
0: Give her the fucking overhead clause. <laughs> great reference. So, so we have
1: this um, really interesting all star cast. You know, um, Coppola likes to use um, people he's used before. Yeah. So, we have like Robert Duvall. I forget the Duvall's guy's name. One of the great but but uh, in this movie. early on, there's this colonel, this general who, who played the uh, the senator and Godfather too. Yes. I appreciate the Italian people, the guy mm-hmm. who gets caught by Fredo in the Whorehouse, right? Yep. Yeah, yeah.
0: um, there's also a uh, young Harrison. Ford is in this, like he was in The Conversation. That's right. And uh, a certain someone named Barland, uh, Barando. Oh, boy. we'll talk about that, because that's one of the great stories within the story. Yeah, well, sure. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Do we, yeah. We'll cover it a little bit, but, yeah. I mean, it's been covered a lot.
1: Yeah, I mean, there. yeah, there are some sort of famous... Like lines that everyone knows, even if you haven't seen the movie. But basically, instead of Marlo, we have um, not Charlie Sheen, but Martin, Martin Sheen. Martin. I think I remarked to you that Marto Sheen. Martin Sheen is kind of playing a version of what would become his son, the <laughs> hotel wrecking <laughs> Charlie Sheen, just a complete disaster. Yeah. And by the way, uh, a sort of trivial um, footnote: uh, Martin Sheen had a heart attack. Yes, playing this role, so it's like this one of many things that was sort of upsetting about the production. Nightmarish of this film. about this production, yeah. But he is some sort of like like black ops assassin operative, yeah, yeah he's, an assassin.
0: He's, a, he's like special forces. <coughs> Uh, I think that was like Phoenix Company. He's essentially a, a Special Forces assassin.
1: So so he's collected after a major sort of bender in Hanoi or something. <laughs> and he's collected. In, one of the in, great in,
0: openings to a movie ever.
1: Absolutely. And, and given the, his new assignment, which mm-hmm. is really um, to collect um, Kurtz, Colonel Kurtz yeah. this time. Um, obviously played by Marlon Brando, who's off, like, up, several clicks up the the Danang River, and he's sort of um, become a god among the natives. Yeah. He's essentially a, a Tony Robbins of the area. Wow. Well I think played. so. Okay. Okay. Um, and so you he should essentially up, assassinate him unless otherwise told. Right. Right? right. Um, and so... Um, you know, it, it tries, it, it's weird because is trying to sort of like make it so different, it's going to be Vietnam, it's going to be in the conflict of a different type of colonization, and yeah. at the same time what he does, and this kind of annoys me, uh-huh. is he drops these breadcrumbs which are exact parallels to the story. Oh. So it's like, wait, are you gonna adapt this thing or not adapt this thing? But right. some of the things are actually literally like word for word from hmm. a character out of the book, okay. just placed into a, another sort of character's from another like country's mouth. Right. Wow, and it's okay. like, what's the purpose of that? I don't really understand. But anyway, so he's he's um he's sort of um um uh, Given a charter, I guess of some some local. Um, I'm not saying this well, but there's a boat. He gets on a boat and, yeah, and yeah. goes to find Colonel. He's
0: given resources to go find Colonel Kurtz, and since he's over river, yeah. the boat is the is the way to go. With uh, okay,
1: by on. the way, a young Lawrence uh, Fishburne. We
0: him, his name. His name is Larry Fishburne at this. That's how young he was.
1: Yeah, he was like. This eight, actually has a tremendous cast. Colin we, we, Quinn, by the way, tells the story about about this. Um, is he, he in it? No, but he grew up Whoa. with in the same neighborhood as as Lawrence Fishburne. Oh, wow! And apparently, they were on a bus one day, and Lawrence Fishburne's like hey, Coppola wants me for his new movie. And the, the 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 scuttlebutt around the neighborhood was like, oh, Lawrence Fishburne's lost his mind. <laughs> he, said, he thinks that the director of The Godfather wants him for a movie.
0: I mean, well, he's over there six months going, oh, God, I can't wait to get back to a bus <laughs> in Brooklyn. Right,
1: because it took forever. So hmm. So, okay, so... Sorry, there's just so much to say about this film because it's yeah. kind of a mess, but it's kind of a it brilliant is. mess. Yeah. The journey it's a lovely is mess. at one point they stop at this sort of like there are all these sort of U.S. Um, you know military checkpoints, and one of them is an amphitheater where the great rock promoter Bill Graham, <laughs> Bill Graham plays like a rock promoter, and there's yeah, like a sort of crazy like Bob Hope show, yeah. USO show that happens. It turns into a riot, mm-hmm. um, and and. I mean, I don't know, I, maybe I'm under talking it, but it's just really about like trying to drive us through the nightmare of this river, the way that Marlowe was driven toward Kurtz and trying to understand who is he after here. Am I am I after a good guy or a bad guy? Right. Because one of the things the pieces of information he gets um, that's sort of a parallel to the, the novella is that he was not the only person sent out to get him. Right. That there was another assassin who has who has become part of the cult. Right. The, the cult of Kurtz.
0: Yeah. Cult of Kurtz. Well, okay. So there's this thing too, and this is where I think there's a kind of a, a, an interesting departure from the book, the novella. Yeah. Because the novella, it, it, one of the thing, one of the elements that he Conrad uses so well in that is to kind of the tedium of the trip itself.
1: Okay. Yeah. Okay.
0: Now uh, Coppola tries to do that, but at the same time, one of the things that makes this movie so worth watching yeah. is that as the trip progresses, there are just moments that mm-hmm. shine. Yeah. I there mean, are moments in this trip that are just entertaining of themselves. Like a movie of, <coughs> in itself, that whole attack with the choppers. I mean, that could have been yeah. its own fucking movie. Well, and there's also almost. like meta meta
1: movie, right? So it's like Coppola himself has a cameo in the film as yeah. a documentary right, filmmaker right. telling soldiers like, don't look at the camera, don't look at the camera, attack the, the enemy, <laughs> right? And it's sort of like, I, I think in a weird way, the things that are cited most often are the are the least interesting. Like, of course, what's cited is like Robert Duvall, who's this sort of wacko, like cavalry, via surf, surf guy, who loves like shooting things from helicopters. Charlie Don't Surf. And, and the classic sort of line, like he drops napalm, I love the smell of napalm, napalm in, in the, the morning. morning, it smells like victory. victory. And then, I mean that's sort of over the top, but much more interesting is something you can't put your finger on and it's probably what drove Coppola crazy making this film and that's that a lot of the film has a very very visceral dreamlike quality. It's yeah. the most dreamlike film I've ever seen because like a film you know that certain things are happening but you're not sure why you know them. Right. Right? Like I mean an interesting uh, um dream that you'll have You look at someone and say, I knew that was my cousin, but also my neighbor, and I knew that he was 50 years old, although I don't know why I knew that stuff. And this film sort of conveys that sort of visceral tonality if you will right shoot me now because i just heard myself say visceral, <laughs> visceral tonality, tonality. <laughs> but mm,
0: but it's i say. did your pinky just stand, <laughs> folks his monocle dropped i'm sorry we it gotta we to get him to the hospital dropped i say
1: but anyway so so finally when 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 um, when sheen you know finally gets to to kurtz, kurtz. and it's it's the classic finally God fully damn, it overweight takes a while. <laughs> marlon brando who's, uh. who's colonel kurtz and the, here's an example of what i'm talking about like in the novella the first sort of, like, Westerner that Marlowe encounters is a Russian fur trapper mm-hmm. who's who, who gives this whole speech about how he's ch- Kurtz has changed his way of looking at life. A All real right. cultist thing. And so what we have instead is Dennis, Dennis Hopper, Hopper. losing his tits. Who, who plays, like, a, a journalist who said, gives the exact same speech. And it's like, well, what did you accomplish, Mr. Coppola, except, like, putting those lines into, like, another character's mouth? Right. You know? And it's sort of like, anyway... Um, I guess there's God, some of I wanna, the... Ending. I want to know
0: what the final answer on this is. For me or... Yeah, yeah, yeah. For, yeah.
1: Oh, well, I like the film. It's a it's super engaging right. film mm-hmm. and it's also problematic. And there are things I don't like about it having read the book, which mm-hmm. is not unusual for people, but I don't like about, like, I think the attempt that Coppola made was unsuccessful at times. Mm-hmm. And so, like, if you can sort of let that go, it becomes a very, very interesting film. I, yeah, a I lot can, of people love this film who've never even heard the of Heart, Heart of, of Darkness. Darkness. Right. And so I understand
0: that. Okay, I can see that. I can see that. Yeah, if you separate it from the book, then I think it is a more successful venture. And when you get to Kurtz, and by the way, you maybe want to reread the uh,
1: and when the novel. When you get to Kurtz, I mean Brando as Kurtz. Oh yeah. Um, Brando is is he's fucking Marlon Brando still. Well, it's a problem, but it's not Brando's fault. I would mm-hmm. I would suspect normally that any problem is Brando's fault because Brando is a fucking maniac as a person. Right. I mean, classically, Brando's the guy well, who, who would make people in The Godfather. He would, he would have all the dialogue written on their face and on their clothing. Shut so, up. <laughs> so that he could just read off them. The camera would do like an over. That's where there's so many over the oh, shoulder actually, shots of like James really? Kahn and so wow. forth. His James Caan would say later on, like, yeah, I had, to, I had to wear all of Brando's dialogue so he could just read it off me, right? Or, <laughs> well, you know, that film, The Island of Dr. Moreau, it was one which of I've never John, seen, John Frankenheimer's last films. Okay, for a reason. There's at some point in the film, just watch the film sometime, because at some point in the film, Dr. Moreau is wearing a, a, a wicker waste paper basket on his head, and it's simply because Brando told Frankenheimer, Frankenheimer, seven days in <laughs> John May, Franken- the train, yeah, the John told Frankenheimer. him, I think the character would wear this on his head, and Frankenheimer couldn't do anything about it, so the character's just wearing a garbage pail on his head for half the <laughs> film. I mean, well, Rando lost uh, his mind too. Uh, he's he a little know. curtsy,
0: but no. Okay, but in this movie, now he famously showed up on set, supposedly a uh, special forces colonel, like three hundred and fifty pounds. Yeah, I
1: know.
0: <laughs> he also had a writer demanding like a like a roasted chicken per day, yeah. and so his Which shots you make good are, use of, I, I believe. Oh, oh, yeah, right, I, oh yeah. anyways, but but he just so that's why he's wearing black and in shadows. So yeah, much because and 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 also ad living most of his lines. Apparently, some of the. Apparently, yeah, there, there's miles... I would like to almost to get... I think it'd be a really interesting film just to take all the like miles they cut of him just yep. improvising and make it its own movie because supposedly there was just a ton of it but, and I mean, they the, took the better
1: part. And then finally about that character, here's where I think the adaptation fails a little bit, but only if you know the book, mm-hmm. which is to say the reveal for Kurtz in in, in uh, Conrad's book, like his his real feelings about the natives is revealed in this really interesting way. Mm-hmm. In the movie... The exact same information, like word for word, is revealed simply by Martin Sheen looking through a stack of papers in his hut. And it's just sort of like, why? Why bother? It's, right. I, I don't really understand the adaptation. It's almost like, um, it's like when someone like, loves a band... And they try to show you, like, get you to listen to a band, and, like, these lyrics are so heavy, man. And it turns out you hate the lyrics, but you appreciate the music. Uh-huh. That's how I feel about this film.
0: Hmm, okay. I appreciate
1: the tonality. I appreciate all the weirdness. All oh, the
0: little shit that's going on, yeah.
1: But I don't appreciate it as an adaptation at all.
0: Okay, fair enough.
1: All right. Okay. Boy, this was a stupid idea, Tom. Yeah, what well, This episode. What the <laughs> hell? Probably our longest episode. Yeah, nah. Yeah. But, <laughs> okay, well, look. So, we're the Finleys on film. Um, if you like what we do and you'd care to become a patreon subscriber at the five dollars per month level or more you can have access to our patreon only episodes and they are growing leaps and bounds on the other
0: side that's the sound of them growing (laughs) Um, uh,
1: if you want to send us a little email some criticism or questions or anything, you can email us at finleysonfilm at Mm gmail.com. I'd also love it if you'd rate, review us on iTunes. Tommy,
0: do you have anything? Yeah, come check it out, uh, TomSmithComedy.com. I try to keep that up to date, uh, more or less. Uh, So if you're you're interested in that. Also, uh, my Twitter is at SmittyHop. Mm-hmm. And also, um, we're gonna be at the uh the Tokyo Gardens. Oh on Tokyo October Gardens, 25.
1: 1711 Fulton Street. We're here gonna, gonna in be Fresno. watching Godzilla. Now is that the nineteen fifty-six Raymond Burr version?
0: Why no it is not. It's what the original it? nineteen forty-nine, I think it is. Is the this original.
1: just you and I gonna be there?
0: Uh, maybe. No, wait a minute. No, now <sighs> that you mention it, oh way to go, boy chick. Okay. Yep. Uh we do have a local uh, comedic talent who's is gonna be joining us as a guest, a gentleman by the name of Heath Reedy. Yeah,
1: so We'll be showing a film, doing a little podcast.
0: Making a little love. Get down tonight. Rawr!